Good morning, church. We've got two readings today. <clears throat> uh, the first reading is the Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out. Of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And our second New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come out to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You may find it hard to learn something new. And I have to say that our culture is changing at an unprecedented pace, especially in the area of sexuality and gender. It's five years since uh, same-sex marriage has been legislated in Australia. But since then, our culture has not just been accepting of a man marrying a man and a woman marrying a woman, uh, but rather our culture has embraced uh, an increasing, and I have to say for me, baffling range of variation on gender. Uh, This little diagram that I picked up is the latest iteration of the LGBTQQIAAP model. And there's a variety of gender identity, as you can see, gender expression and gender roles. And this diagram shows the variety of ways in which men and women can currently identify. There are 32 gender identities on that page, which means that there would be 96 related gender-specific pronouns. I find it baffling. Compared to the Bible, which has two sexes, male and female, And to quote Sam Albury in Vaughan Roberts' book, Transgender, and I quote, our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed with it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. 
In other words, God has given us bodies which make sense biblically. God gave us male and female bodies and souls which make sense spiritually. God gave us male and female body and souls which make sense psychologically. And God gave us male and female bodies and souls which make sense biologically. And so with the multitude of media and the variety of voices that come into our lives every day, building a biblical ethic will take us first to the Word of God in the Bible. And we shall look today at what the Bible has to say about our bodies and souls. Both our spiritual and our biological stories are woven together in life. And it is baffling. And I have a degree in biology and a degree in theology, and I'm finding it baffling. I'm really hoping that some of you might too. We need God's Word, and we need God's Spirit to bring clarity and confusion. So I'm going to ask God that he would do that for us. Would you join me as we pray to our Father in heaven? Father God, for some of us, this is um, increasingly our natural habitat, the culture in which we live. And for some of us, this is a strange new world. But throughout time and throughout space, you are constant. Your Son, the Lord Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and your Word endures. It endures from the beginning, today, and into eternity. So pity the poor preacher as he seeks to engage with your Word in this changing world. Help me, Father God, enable me that my words might follow your Word faithfully and truly, and pity your poor people as we seek to sit under your word and not put ourselves above it. We pray, Father, that you'd be pleased to teach us things that would enable us to build a biblical ethic so that we might respond to your love lavished upon us in Jesus and that we might help one another and others on this journey to draw closer to him. Amen. Okay. So the big idea over the course of these five weeks as we seek to build a biblical ethic, uh, basically, uh, in the beginning, God created alive. This week, both male and female. Next week, connected in singleness and in marriage. And then devoted for the bearing and raising of children and finally eternal that is to be established together as his family forever. And so I'm going to look at this topic today under three headings. Nature is the first one, number one. And we're going to engage here with the reading we had from Genesis chapter 2, verses 12 to 25. But again, I want us to begin by thinking about this question. Do feelings outweigh facts? Do feelings outweigh facts? Because you and I know that some people... Maybe indeed some of us gathered here today feel attracted to the same sex rather than the opposite sex. That some people feel like they're in the wrong clothes. Indeed, some feel like they're in the wrong body. And what should we think when adults, 
want to act out on these attractions and affections. Because we know that our kids dress up for fun. And we know that sometimes little boys play with dolls and little girls play with trucks. But what a child wears and what a child enjoys as a toy does not determine whether it is a boy or a girl. A boy is a boy, and he will grow up to be a man. A girl is a girl, and she will grow up to be a woman. So at one level, I want to say it's not baffling. Uh, A joke used to be made about how God has made us both male and female. God made his first people, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or Eve and Neve. And I could have said that joke 10 years ago, and many would have laughed, but today it makes us cringe, doesn't it? Because this is the culture in which we live. It has changed. And there is confusion in gender orientation, which is very personal. And so we, as God's people, want to be sensitive and caring. Agenda is an interesting word. It's psychological. It's sociological. It is a cultural word. But sex is a biblical word. It's a biological word. And so sex itself is not baffling. God made people both male and female. And we saw this in the account from Genesis 2, where we saw that creatures were good companions for Adam, but they weren't great. (laughs) There was something lacking, and he needed a deeper, very good companion. And so God saw fit to send him into a sleep and take a rib, and from that rib to make woman. And of woman, man said, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And this is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And they were naked and shameless. So not baffling, but both is what God tells us in his creation. Both male and female made by God. Genesis chapter 1, male and female. Genesis chapter 2 elaborates to say man and woman. And even after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, when we read in Genesis chapter 5, it is still man and woman. Because the Bible shows us that God created each person either male or female. Not many, but both. Male and female are not the extremes at the end of a spectrum. Now it's obvious externally in adults and children too. Because men and women have different body parts. But it is different internally as well. For a male has a chromosomal arrangement of sex chromosomes of X and Y. And a female has the arrangement X and X. And this is God's template. It is his biological building blocks based on DNA. And this difference gives evidence of our very nature. And so, our design and God's purpose for us. Both, not many, male and female, man and woman. But 
That's not to say that there are no exceptions. Both have exceptions. There are disorders of sexual development that occur on rare occasions in people. Sometimes a newborn baby is born, and rather than immediately being identified as a male or female, there is some confusion. There needs to be clarification. And this condition is called intersex, both socially and medically. Intersex condition is not a third sex designed by God, but rather it is a deviation from male and female in some small or significant way. And it's very often the case that during puberty in a child, the full male-female identity becomes made known, which is why it's so important not to intervene medically too early. Sometimes, of course, there can even be genetic variations. There's a particular arrangement of chromosomes, the XO arrangement, Turner's syndrome, or the XXY arrangement, Kleinfelter's syndrome. But again, these are very, very rare. And they can be confusing for the person with the condition. And it can be confusing for us. But what we go back to is the sovereignty of God and the certainty of his word and the knowledge that his oversight for us, both male and female, stands. And his oversight for us, if we are somebody who is intersex, stands because he knows us. And he loves us just as he made us. That's the nature point. The second point is this, purpose, in which we read in 1 Corinthians 15 those verses that have been read for us. Our purpose is to be established in relationship with God and with one another. For in the beginning, God created both male and female with building blocks for singleness and marriage, for the bearing and raising of children to be established as his family forever. And next week, we shall look in depth into the subject of singleness and marriage. But what I want to say in terms of purpose is firstly this. It is purpose for both male and female. How does the Bible help us to think about embodiment and identity well we saw that Genesis 1 has reference to male and female Genesis 2 has reference to man and woman but then throughout the Old Testament and the New we see absolute consistency with the rendering of sex as roles become apparent in the lives of men and women we see husband and wife we see father and mother We see these mapped onto man and woman so that we then see son and daughter, brother and sister, bridegroom and bride at every level of society from manservant and maidservant to king and queen. It is entirely consistent. In fact, to quote Rob Smith in his very helpful book, How Should We Think About Gender and Identity? And I quote, It is a person's biological sex determining their actual gender, their true gender identity, and establishing certain potential gender roles. That's what it means for us, if you like, the earthly man and woman. 
What about the heavenly man? What about for Jesus? Well, Jesus was born a little baby, a boy. He became a man. But of course, he was unique in history because he was also fully God as well as being fully man. And Jesus is at the center point of all history so that Paul can write in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 about how Jesus alone is the one by whom all people can be saved, not just from our sins in this life, but for our future lives in eternity. Verses 3 to 8 say, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and then raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and he appeared to his disciples, some of whom are still alive and some of whom have physically died. The Lord Jesus... died to offer forgiveness for our sins and to assure us of a hope for eternal life. And every single person, male and female, can respond to that hope that Jesus offers us. Adam and Eve fell under the effects of the fall. They needed to repent. Everybody needed to repent. And you and I needed or need to repent which we do today by acknowledging Jesus as Lord and confessing our sins and turning away from them. To turn back to God by having faith in Jesus. And the reason we trust in Jesus is because Paul says, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead as the firstfruits of all of those who are asleep in death. Death came through the one man, that is Adam. Resurrection of the dead comes through another. That is Christ. And so as all in Adam die, uh, sorry, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the Bible wants to emphasize for us this continuity between this creation and the new creation, between this life and the next, that there will be transformation following the pattern of Jesus' own resurrection and his glorious body. We're told in Philippians chapter 3, 21, that our lowly bodies will be raised up like his glorious body. And so the implication of all this is that the sexes, both male and female, will be raised not just for this life, but also into eternity. God's purpose for this life and the life to come are related such that sex is both clear and prepared for the new creation. God made you and me, male and female, not just for this life, but for all eternity. And so all creation in the context of new creation will be raised bodily and sexed, transformed not from men and women to another type, but glorified mortal men and women becoming immortal men and women as we see God's purpose for his people on the final resurrection day. Paul says that these mortal bodies will be replaced by imperishable immortal bodies because we know that Jesus as victor over death has assured us of this. It's very good that he has given us both male and female, man and woman, prepared for him, body and soul, for everlasting life. And so it's good that we don't tinker around with what he's given us during this lifetime. 
Now I can say these things about nature and purpose based on the word of God. But I've got to say, folks, with you, I really wrestle with what this means in terms of pastoral care. I'll share with you a little story of of my own journey, if I may, a little bit of my testimony for when I came to Australia back in 1999. I knew that I was saved from my sins by Jesus, but I was finding it really difficult to walk with him as Lord. I had a lot of bad habits back in England. I thought I'd try and drop them when I moved over here, but it was harder than I thought. And so by the time I got to New Year's Eve in 1999, you remember that one? It was a big one, wasn't it? I was living in Kirribilli, and I could see that word eternity on the bridge as they prepared for that big night. And uh, I'd invited a bunch of friends around, and I have to say, I'm sorry to say, um, that um, in that day, um, part of my fun was having a few sherbets and running around on the rooftops in Kirribilli. I'd invited a friend over from the UK who I knew well, and a few of us went out and had a very big night that night. But my friend and I, at the end of the night, sort of, It was a bit of a fizzer of a sunrise, if you remember. And there we were, he and I, cracking open a beer together, six o'clock in the morning, looking out into the harbour at the flotsam and jetsam of life. There were thousands and thousands of champagne corks that had all kind of got washed up into this section under the bridge. And there were people out there trying to clear up everybody else's mess. And I have to say in that moment, the Lord convicted me that really to walk with Jesus was not to allow myself to become like the flotsam and jetsam. So I said to my friend, this is it. This is my last beer. It was for many years. I'm coming out. I'm a Christian. And I'm going to stand for Christ. To which, unexpectedly, my friend said to me, Rob, you know what, mate? I'm coming out too. I'm queer. That was a real surprise to me. I hadn't expected that. And we're still good friends. We still keep in touch. He thinks I'm a ning-nong because I follow a dead bloke called Jesus. And I don't think he's made some good decisions about his lifestyle. But my whole point of telling you that story is this. In real life, we have loved ones who are living with same-sex attraction. And the, the sense of confusion about whether they're in the right body. And and whether those attractions should be lived out as affections, should be lived out as actions. And so not one of us can take any moral high ground as we think this through. Because you and I always speak from our own brokenness when it comes to sharing the brokenness of other people's lives, don't we? We're all broken and in need of a saviour. And so I want to encourage us, as I've been challenged by this... um, this topic this week, to work hard at getting better at caring for one another and caring for ourselves. I want to just share a few reflections that I've had, and I'd love you to talk more about this over morning tea so that we can share learnings with one another. Firstly, thinking about attraction to affection. You know, a a, a young man or a young woman has a body which belongs to God and belongs to him or her. And God gives us bodies and souls which are completely integrated with one another, such that when boys become men and girls become women, they change bodily, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. There's there's a maturity and a a transformation. And at some point, these bodies and ours have or will begin to be drawn to other people. 
We, 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 we grow in our attraction through things that people say and people do and something about them. And so what I want to say is that God has given us this, this gift of attraction for good purpose, but we so often can distort it and get it wrong. And so I think that it's really helpful on our journey together uh, to share with trusted friends and trusted family our experience of that journey, to be able to pray for one another, to be able to counsel one another. And I especially want to say to those amongst us who are grandparents and parents, this is a lovely opportunity for us to raise up the next generation, not in such a way that we're kind of putting the hard word on our young ones or saying this is the way it should be, but acknowledging that this is a journey together in which we, each of us, want to be going to the Word of God and being gently but gradually transformed by His Word together to think God's thoughts after Him in terms of attraction and affection, knowing that the evil one wants to put temptation in our way to do things in a way that is not good for us and not pleasing for God. Secondly, I want to say that moving from affection to action is significant. Because our bodies belong to God and to us, and we've been given bodies and souls to care for and nourish. We need water and food and warmth and shelter, but we also need the living Word of God to feed us. And and particularly as we move into the possibility of relationships with one another, and we'll look more keenly at this next week, we need to remember that if we start to think about the possibility of sharing ourselves, body and soul, with others... It's not been given to us to use it or to abuse it or to hurt it or to harm it. But rather these bodies and these souls, male and female, have been given for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically for us to enjoy in the wonderful unity of his church, both the singles and marrieds, according to the good order of God as a family. To care for one another. And thirdly, I want to say as well that in the context of attraction and affection and action, there are those who have and may still live with dysphoria. Dysphoria is just the technical word, as I understand it, both socially and medically, about some sort of disjuncture between sex and gender sense. It's a form of confusion. Being settled in body and soul comes from knowing who I am, secure in Christ. These comforts coming from knowing that Jesus loves each and every one of us, how he made us. Sex being biblical and biological. Gender, as I said, is psychological and social and cultural. And when we focus on gender and gender identity and expression and role, it permits our minds to overrule our bodies rather than being integrated. And as I said, some people are not attracted to the other sex. Some people are attracted to both. Some people do not think or feel as a man in a man's body or a woman in a woman's body. And this dysphoria, though it's a blanket term, exists in us individually because each of us is unique and our story and journey is unique. For some of us, dysphoria may last a season. For some of us, it may last a lifetime. But a biblical ethic means at some point we do have to describe those attractions and affections and actions that are wrong in good sight, God's sight. 
the attractions there, we can, with God's help, work to subdue the affection and the action. Because God says in Deuteronomy 22.5 that gender bending by way of cross-dressing is prohibited by God. And that homosexual practices are called displeasing by God in Leviticus 18 and 20. And if we begin to deny and distort God's good purpose for us, body and soul, then he will, according to Romans 1.27, give us over to a troubled life that comes from acting out on these affections, acting upon these attractions. If we can build a good biblical theology and a good biblical ethic, it still may not change the feelings that we or our loved ones have. So they need love and patience and support. Dysphoria sometimes, especially for those who follow the feelings in their body through the transition from one sex to another, can lead to and increased anxiety and confusion and put people at risk. There are sometimes insidious influences from other ill-willed people who will come alongside our precious ones and lead them into an area that God does not want them in. And we must protect them. It can be a distressing experience. So as God's people, I want us to ask ourselves and one another, do we have the Lord's wide open welcoming embrace for people who are living with dysphoria? To say that every single person is welcome in the kingdom of God. But when we come to Jesus, as, as he did with me and as he's done with you, he doesn't just leave us where we are in our brokenness, but he seeks to embrace us and lift us up and care for us and renew us and transform us to be the people that he would have us be. Slowly but surely and sometimes tripping over and fumbling and, and breaking and having to be picked up again. But he will always do right with us. Because in the end, he sent Jesus to take us into a new creation. And right now in heaven and in the future in the new creation there will be no experience or feeling of dysphoria. I know this has been a really heavy talk, sermon, and it's weighty stuff. But I want us to remember in conclusion that God made us both male and female who become uh, from boys and girls, men and women, for the purpose of serving and honoring God and loving one another as his people in the church, and loving and caring for our communities. So I trust God will help each and every one of us to live according to his design and desire for us. The question is, are we willing to trust him? Especially when it comes to being open and welcoming to those who are experiencing same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, or those on a journey of changing sex, those who have already been through that journey, not celebrating the dysphoria, but being welcoming and loving and asking God to show us who we all are so that we might live out our best life for his glory. 
A biblical theology in God's word is our compass that gives us our sexual ethic for both male and female. And God wants all people to know and understand his love for us in the Lord Jesus. We can share Jesus' love with one another prayerfully and pastorally without being drawn into this baffling, changing world of cultural confusion, without affirming desires which do not align to God's nature and purpose, but by offering the life-transforming, personal and growing relationship that each and every one of us has, both male and female, trusting and hoping in our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Father God, this is deep stuff. But we thank you for the way in which your word speaks with clarity in the confusion. The way in which your word cuts through the currency of our culture to show us the eternal truths that you would have us know and live by. We thank you above all for the redeeming blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus who came into this world as a man to lay down his life in love, but also to take it up again and to be transformed into a glorious body for all eternity, to give us a sense of line of sight on our future as boys and girls, men and women, who will share eternity with him. We do pray that you'd help us to continue to build a biblical ethic that we might think your thoughts after you and share your love with one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.